Acts chapter 2, verse 4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And last week we talked about um, the moving of the, of the Holy Spirit, and we talked about it being a, 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 visual, uh, a visual occurrence of the Holy Spirit and, a, and one that was audible or was able to be, to be heard. And there was a couple of a couple comments. We started talking about the, uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, if you remember, and, and didn't quite get finished with that. And, and when we think about the filling... God has a desire, okay, and, and we talked about yielding. You know, we've got to yield. We've got to yield to the Lord. I mean, we've got to yield to him, number one. We had to yield to him when we got saved one day, right? We yielded to his spirit. Well, in order to serve him and to live for him, we've got to continue to yield to him rather than yielding to ourselves. And we talked a little bit about that last week. I'm not going to go back into that. But, but the feeling that we're talking about, you know, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it only happens one time. When we get saved, we only get saved once. We either get saved or we don't get saved. It's, it's, it's that simple, okay? It happens one time, the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he comes in. But the filling, which we talked about, is, is for service and to equip us to live for him. And the filling is something that happens throughout the life of the believer. But let me kind of qualify that. Again, that's God's desire is for it to continue through the life of the believer. Again, we have to be willing to yield and allow him to continue to fill us throughout our life, okay? Because if we decide not to heed and not to yield, then he can't fill us in the fashion that he wants to, so, or, or continue to fill us and refill us, if I can put it that way. So verse 4, because, and you say, why are you saying this? Because look at what it says. In verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak. Okay, so verse 4 states that after they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they began to speak. They didn't speak before. They spoke after. And that's a, you say that doesn't sound like a big deal. That's a real big deal. Because if they were speaking before, then they were just speaking on their own, and they weren't speaking according to what God wanted them to speak and what God wanted them to do. And again, uh, to me, we see God's order. God is, God is a God. I mean, we know he's a sovereign God. I mean, everything he does is for his purpose. He's it's perfect. But he's also, it's orderly. He's got an order for everything. You know, sometimes maybe we look around and we think, man, what kind of order does he have going on in this world? He's got complete control right now. You know, I mean, every, everything that's going on, he's got complete control. And everything is, in, is according to his order. So his perfect order, his perfect purpose. And when we look at verse 4, and we're, I'm going to read verses 5 through 13 here in a minute. But we need to remember something, that he's not the author of confusion. Okay, we've got to remember that because that's very important. He is the God of order. He is not the God of confusion. Okay, when we talk about confusion, we're, talking, we're not talking about Almighty God, the one and only true God. We're talking about other things of this world is what we're talking about. So... Um, and if you don't believe me, 1 Corinthians 14.33, let me just flip back there. I, didn't, I don't have a mark, but let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, and I know this particular verse is talking about within the church, but it applies not just when we're here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. It applies throughout our lives as believers. 14.33 says, let me find it, for God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. And like I said, that's not just within the church. He's the, he's the God, he is the author. He is not the author of confusion in any way, shape, or form. He is the author of order. 
and authority, I would just say. So, so let me read verse 4 again. And it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we need to, we need to again, I'm, I'm stressing the fact that he's a God of order based on what I just read here. Because they, when we say that they begin to speak in other tongues, people start going sometimes, I'll just say sometimes, maybe, some people, kind of get a little sideways with this. That's all I'm going to say, okay? But again, when he's talking about tongues here, he's talking about other languages, okay? He's not talking about something that's just being uttered that is not understandable. It is, it, there are languages that he's talking about here, okay? And there's a reason for that. Again, God always has a reason, okay? God has a reason in everything. Whether we understand it or not, he's got a reason, okay? And sometimes it's easier said than to say it than to believe it, but he's got a reason. And uh, so, so again, he's talking about, we're talking about languages here. And when you think about it, even back at this time, just because they were Jewish people, all of the Jews did not speak Hebrew, okay? Because, you know, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, the Jews were... They were scattered at this time, okay? And I'm gonna, I'll kind of get to that here in a second, so let me, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I need to take a breath and slow down a little bit. Um, so they didn't all speak Hebrew. So God gave power to the apostles that day. I believe it was to the apostles. Now, he may have given it to the others, but here in a, in a few later verses, if we get to it, it says Peter and the other 11 stood up. And Peter was the one who spoke. I think it was the apostles of God. And, you know, that's, that's just my thought. That's neither here nor there. Um, the Spirit was, was given. And when it says utterance, utterance means nothing more than words or pronunciation. And if you don't believe me, look it up in the dictionary. You know, in, in, in the, look it up in the 1828 in the old Webster's. Don't look at it in the new one, okay? You don't want to look at, you don't want to look at the new stuff. So, so utterance means words and it's, it's just a manner of speaking. That's what utterance means. And it says right here in the verse that, they, that they, they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That means the Spirit gave them the ability to speak, to pronounce, and to speak, and to communicate. That's what, that's what that means. So keep in mind, again, this is a one-time event in history. I mean, we've got to keep that in mind. That's important to remember. So kind of getting back to the Jewish people. There were Jewish people that were gathered here in Jerusalem. They were from all over the Roman, the Roman Empire, the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And you say, well, why is that important? I mean, I thought about, as I was trying to study this, there was a, I got a map here, and y'all can't see this, but it's a one-pager, okay, I'll just tell you. And it's talking about, and it's showing where the Jewish people were at this time. When, at, the, at the time of Pentecost. And we've heard Tom use that word the first time he threw it out. I thought, man, I, I don't know that I've ever heard that word before, but the, the diaspora, okay? And we've heard him. He mentioned that Wednesday night, as a matter of fact, if I remember right. But all that means is that was when God scattered his people across, you know, around the world. And when you look here, these folk, the Jewish people at the time, from what I can see here, they were living in Europe, Asia, and Africa, three continents, Already, already spread across there, all around the Mediterranean Sea area. I mean, when you look at that, I mean, the, they were down in Egypt, they were in Libya, or what's Libya now, all those areas around, they, they were there. And different nationalities, 
different ethnic backgrounds, different languages, but they were all brought together in a common bond. And what was that common bond? They had a love for Almighty God. You think about that. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, at least that's, that's my thought. I mean, they had a desire to worship God. I mean, think, what I thought about was when I looked at this map, we talked about the Apostle Paul and all the missionary journeys that he took and the distances that he traveled. Man, I'll tell you what, these people, the ones that weren't all from Jerusalem, if they lived, I mean, can you imagine traveling because you wanted to worship God? I mean, they're, we're talking about, I don't know, I, don't, I didn't take out a gauge. I don't know if it got a legend on it or mileage-wise, but I mean, I'd say thousands of miles probably. And that wasn't like getting in a car and driving 14 hours to get there. I mean, they were probably traveling. I don't know how long it took them. But my point is they had a desire to worship God. That's why they were there. That's why they came. They loved him, and they had a desire to worship him. And so let me read a couple more verses here. Let me read uh, 5 and 6 couple more and, and yeah, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here it says and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews devout men out of every nation under heaven and that's what I'm talking about that's why I'm saying they were they were all over them they were scattered all over but they had come together it says now when this was noised abroad the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language that's pretty clear is that pretty clear? I mean, that's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, they, they, they heard them speak in their own language. So every person that day, there that day, heard the message from God in their own language for their own understanding. You know, and, and I thought from day one of the church here at Pentecost, from day one, the purpose of God was to make his gospel available to whosoever will. Is that not? I mean, I know this was only to the Jews, so don't, don't, don't read anything in there. But I'm saying, whosoever will, whoever would listen, whoever would accept, he was giving it out so that they could all hear. Because they didn't all, I mean, they weren't all from right there, but they were all right there that day. So I'm sure they didn't fully understand what was taking place that day, probably. But God's getting ready to prepare them to help them understand, because somebody's going to tell them. Peter's going to stand up here in a minute, and he's going to explain to them what it is that they're seeing, what they've experienced that day, or what they're witnessing that day, I should say. So, anybody have a comment before I... Yep. That's good. And, and I'm going I'm to kind of touch on the, the Jewish part here in a sec. But, so, let me go ahead and read on down through verse 13. And, and it's, in verse 7 it says, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold... Are not, are not all these which speak Galileans? And again, verse 8, and how we how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born. Parthians and Medes and the Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Man, I don't know what I don't know what they said to those folks that day, but I'm sure it was amazing. I mean, I'll just put it that way. Probably beyond what anybody could we could try to explain today. But look at the list where all these people were from, like I said earlier. I mean, and they didn't all speak the same languages, but yet they heard it 
that day. They heard everything, they understood everything that was said that day. And it says, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. I'm not going to elaborate a whole lot on verse 13, only to say this, no matter where we are in history, no matter where we are in the current times, there's always people who are going to question and who are going to doubt. And, and nine times out of ten, anytime there's something that's even right in the broad scheme of things, folks are going to question that, right? So that's all I'm going to say on that. There's always going to be those who are going to doubt and who are going to question. So, so now we come, to, we come to verse 14. And Peter is going to begin to explain... Uh, number one, he's going to begin to explain, and then number two, I begin, he's, going to, he's going to preach the first message of the new church. Okay, So in verse 14, let me read a couple of verses here. Um, it says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it as but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So, looking at verse 14, so Peter, is, he's, like I said, he's getting ready to preach the first sermon of the new church age. That's what he's getting ready to do, and he's going to do that here in just a little bit. But before he preaches, he's going to address the mockers and the doubters for just a little bit. I mean, at least to me, that's what he's doing, that we're present that day. And I think it's important for us to note that Peter is, is directly speaking to the Jewish people. We need to keep in mind that the only people there present that day were Jews. That's who was there. So, I mean, us as Gentiles, we come along later, okay? But this was all about the Jews, and that's all that were there that day were Jewish people. So, um, that's who that was there, like I said, and specifically identified. And so what did the, what do we think about when we think about the Jewish people? Josh mentioned signs, but what's the other thing that we think about? What do they, what do they look to from a historical perspective? The scriptures, right? I mean, they look to the scriptures. I mean, even back here at this time, didn't they always go back and, and weren't they always looking at what the Old Testament said? So um, Peter points them to the scriptures. That's what he's going to do first thing here. He's going to point them to the scriptures because they know the scriptures. And Peter tells them that these men aren't drunk. What he's telling them, he's getting ready to tell them, is that they've been touched by the power of God. That's what he's going to try to explain to them and help them understand. And he's reminding them, and I thought this was in there, but he's reminding them, I think, in a, in a, in a kind way that they should have recognized what was going on this day. If they were, if they were well-read and studied, they should have recognized. Now, no doubt, it was probably an amazing, no doubt it was, it was a very amazing supernatural phenomenon, if you want to call it that, but it really wasn't supernatural. It was just all God. But nobody had actually seen God move like that before, ever. So I can understand why they didn't maybe understand, but at the same time, you know, when I don't understand something, I don't go turn on the TV or flip on my, you know, or pull out my goofy cell phone, start searching on the internet. If there's something I don't understand, I either go look at this or I'll find me a quiet spot and I go ask the Lord, I don't understand, help me, you know, help me understand, right? So when they didn't understand, they should have been looking to the Lord 
for that guidance or that direction when they didn't understand. But anyway, he's reminding them that they should have recognized what they were seeing as a work of the Spirit and not drunkenness, if that makes sense. So, that, I mean, that's what he's telling them. So, um, in verses 17 through 21, I haven't read those yet, but Peter, he's referencing them back to the Old Testament, to the, to the book of Joel. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if y'all have ever read the book of Joel, but you should, because it's a very interesting book, and it's very short. Okay, and I'm not making this, trying to be funny when I'm saying that. But, you know, when you, if, if you get time this coming week, read it. It's three chapters long. And in those three chapters, I'm telling you, there is, there is a lot of information that God gave to this man to put in his word for us to be able to read and glean from. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it, it truly is. I mean, in it, we see um, God's judgment for sin. We see his forgiveness for people who truly repent. Um, we're given God's prophecy of future judgment. And not only that, we're also, he also tells, in, in addition to all that, which to me in three chapters, that's a lot. That's a whole lot. But he also tells us that there's going to come a day, and I'm going to read it here in a minute, where God is going to pour his spirit out on his people. And that's what Peter is, is referencing to or is going to reference to when we read these verses. So, again, he's, he pointed them back to the Old Testament because, again, they should have been familiar with what he's, going to, what he's going to read to them here or what he's going to tell them. So in verse, let me find it here. Verse 16, but, or, yeah, but, that, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And, and I'm going to read down through uh, 21. It says, and it, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? So he points them back to that. So, um, let me find my spot here. What he's basically trying to tell the Jews is that they should understand that what they're witnessing is the Spirit, is the giving of the Spirit by God to his people. That's what he's trying to help them understand that they should have understood this or I didn't say that very well, did I? He's trying to help them understand what they were witnessing, what they saw. So he's not saying, okay, so let me clarify something here. He's not saying that the full prophecy that Joel wrote about was being fulfilled on that day at Pentecost. I don't believe it was. Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. But what he's telling them is, is the spirit, the power of God, was poured out on people for the first time that day. It was given to move within people that day. Does that, does that make sense? Anybody disagree? Because this is supposed to be discussion. This just, just didn't be up here one-sided. So, okay, y'all chime in. I'm sure you will. Um, 
So Peter's not saying that the full prophecy, again, was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And to me, it wasn't then. And it, to me, it still hadn't been fulfilled. Because if you go back and read that, I believe he's, he's telling us if we go to what he's talking about, we can see is what's given in the book of Revelation. Okay? So, but I'm telling you if, you, if you haven't read that one for a while, it's only three chapters long. Go back and read that. I had to, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tell you, I had to spend some time. I had to read it. I had to look at the footnotes, and I had to do a little, I had to do a little cross-referencing a little bit to kind of get grounded in what he's saying. But what I found very interesting was he mentions the, an army from the north, if he, if he puts it that way. I can't remember exactly if he says, the, but something from the north coming that was going to take over Israel and conquer them, but then they would recover from that. What's Tom been teaching on on Wednesday nights? And that, that was the thing that kind of clicked, and I thought, you know, God has a way of guiding us to things and helping us understand things when we don't even know that he's that he's doing that so if, if we're looking to try to understand his word so um let me find my spot here so he's directed the crowd to the old testament scripture first now he's going to direct them to christ okay that's what he's that's what he's going to direct them to, who he's going to direct them to next and in, let me read 22, let me read verse 22. And he says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. I'll just go ahead and read 23 and 24. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible, excuse me, that he should be holden of it. So, Peter says, you've seen Jesus and the miracles and the wonders and the signs that only Jesus Christ could do. Only the Son of God could do. And, he, and he's telling them that the reason he did those things, and this is in verse 22, is because he had the power from God, that God gave him the power to do that. That's what Peter's telling them. And I thought it interesting, I turned back to John chapter 14, and John chapter 14, I think it's John 14, yes, John chapter 14, verse 10 and 11 says this, what Jesus himself said about himself. John 14, 10 says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. And the reason I'm reading that, I thought about when we talked about verses, verse 1 and verse 2, okay, in, this, in, this, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 2. We talked about there was two ways that the spirit that came that day, that people knew it, right? They knew it, they, they heard it, and they visually saw it, right? And to me, Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying about himself the same thing. He's saying, believe my words. In other words, hear what I'm saying, or believe the works. In other words, see what I've done, 
but believe on me. I mean, he's, he's telling them the same thing that in the same fashion that God moved upon these folks on Pentecost, the same two ways that they, were, that they understood through the eye of seeing and through the ear of hearing, the Lord's telling us the same way. That's how you're going to know I'm who I am. Now, I know it's spiritual, but we got to at least recognize who he is first if you give me that leeway this morning. So I just thought that was, I say glory to that. I mean, his word, believe my words and believe my works. I'm glad that he wants us to understand who he is. He wants us to know him this morning. That's his desire. So Peter tells him that, and then he goes on and he says, he begins to preach in verse 22 on the life of Christ. In verse 23, he preaches about the death of Christ. And in verse 24, to me, he preaches about the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. And in verse 23, Peter tells the crowd that they're the ones that killed Christ. And I mean, that's what he's telling them. He said, you all were the ones that did it. And now, the reason he said that is because they stirred the people, and that created the mob that moved the Romans to crucify Christ. Fair enough? But that's how it happened. And, um, but we know all that's true, but we also know something else. We also know that each one of us that are sitting here as believers this morning, that we crucified him as well because he went to that cross for every one of us for our sins that day. He went for every one of us, and we participated in that. It was because of our sin as well and that, that he died. But um, verse 23, you look at this verse, at what it says. Peter told him, he said, him talking about Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. <clears throat> we know, verse 23 tells us, that God's plan and his foreknowledge was for his son to die for us. We know that. We know that plan was from the... It, it's always been God's plan. We know that. But to me, I think in this verse, we're reminded of God's divine sovereignty. And what I mean by that is his, everything, his purpose is for his purpose. Everything that's done is pure, that he does is perfect, it's pure, and it's for his pleasure. And what I mean by that is it's for his purpose, everything. And to me, that's what it means when we say that he is, he is divinely sovereign. And everything God does is right, and it's according, like I said, to his purpose and his pleasure. And every action that man does is based on man's choosing, right? So we see that depicted right here in the death of Christ. It was God's divine plan for Christ to die for our sins, but it was man's choosing, man's sinful choosing, okay, that executed the plan when you think about that. I mean, it's God's divine sovereignty. He had a plan. He knew what was going to happen because that's how he said it was going to happen, and it did happen. But at the same time, Man, you see man's free will, man's ability to choose. And to me, I thought, you know, that's, that's the same way it is from the time that we're, when he offers us the invitation to get saved to we live our entire relationship with him. It's the same way. He's got a divine plan for our lives, each and every one of us. And it's up to each and every one of us whether we're going to agree to his way and have, you know, get our will out of the way. He's going to give us a choice. He's not going to force us. 
I mean, he's not going to force us. We talked about being yielded, but I just thought how interesting it is that Peter, we have that here in verse 23, that the divine sovereignty of God and the free will of man, I mean, we see it right there. And I know we see it in other places in the Bible, but I don't know that I've ever thought about it right there in that verse before in the way that I thought about it this time. So, But we need it when we're doing that but just our service for him we need it you know i mean because we're not going to get there this morning i'm going to i'm probably i'm going to stop right here probably but if you go on over and read we know the response to his preaching that there were many that were saved that day right i mean we everybody's heard that everybody's read it but why i mean but to me it comes back to the power of god it, it didn't force those people to get saved but i believe the power of god was so strong and was so, was so, I don't know, present? Is that, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. But I believe, and it's still the same way for us as believers, if I can put it that way. But when we think about why aren't people getting saved, but yet, you know, I shouldn't say that because people are getting saved. Praise the Lord. We're seeing people get saved. So, <laughs> but, you know, and when we look at the world, why do people not want the Lord? Why are they not looking to him? It's because they're not looking to his power. You know, we as believers, we got to look to his power. We got to rely on his power. Without his power, without his power, we don't have anything. We don't have anything, nothing. I mean, we don't. Because without his power, we don't have his presence. Somebody might argue with me on that, but I, I, don't, I don't think that's flat out right. I mean, without his power, without his presence, we don't have his power, and we don't have any power if we don't have his presence. So we can't have, we can't have one without the other. So I think I'm going to stop there for this morning. I hope... Hope you got a little little something out of it this morning.